Today we begin a series on one of the most polarizing and hotly debated topics we may ever cover, the West Memphis Three. In part one, we'll introduce the three victims and their families. We'll look at their disappearances and the initial aspects of the police investigation. We'll also talk about some of the mistakes authorities made early on and the stories reported to police by the parents of the victims. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're one of the multitude of individuals involved in the fraudulent Necronomapod voting scandal of 2020, stick around. This episode is the outcome of your deception. This is Necronomapod. P.S. Sit tight, though. Casey, the smoke show, Anthony, she's up next. Well, him and a couple little boys were just beautiful little boys playing. Those little boys still believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. They were playing in the woods called Robin Hood Park, where all the neighborhood kids play at. And evidently, they've run up on something. And those boys were cruelly beaten to death. They were beaten to death. I saw my grandson at the funeral home before he was taken out of a body bag, just like he came back from the corner, and it was pitiful. It's just, it's something that a decent human being wouldn't even do to a live dog, let alone a human being. Would you guys have ever expected that the black-eyed children would go down as the episode that freaked the most people out? I remember it being creepy. It was a long time ago, but I didn't, I didn't think it was that scary. I mean, my God, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty spooky, but I remember saying I would I, I would uh, let the let them in my house if they came to the door, and people were like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting, no? It was uh, yeah because we recorded that a while ago because mm-hmm. it was a Patreon show, but then we released it last week as uh uh, the New Year's show, just to kind of um, give everyone a little taste of what they're missing on Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Mike, it was actually a week off that Ian and I wanted. That I know. We had to make you <laughs> to give you guys a vacation. <laughs> so, uh, but we had more people than ever reach out and tell hmm. us that either that was the creepiest show that they ever heard uh, or the creepiest that we've ever done. And then some people say that they couldn't finish the episode. That's wild. We had new, multiple people hmm. say they couldn't finish the episode. I do like the creepier type episodes versus you know, I just do, murder stuff. I do too. Unexplained stuff. But I don't think I put this in that category. Really? Yeah. That was pretty creepy. Like real life creepy stuff that you see, like the Elisa Lamb freaks me out. Sure. This, I, you have to believe it for it to be creepy. Oh, I believe this one. Okay. But I'm just saying like, it's just, you know. It's up in the air, this one. Yeah, it's still fun and it's creepy, but fuck, I would not let these little those little shits into my house. I would think about it. I would make a judgment should, call, yeah. I should have included the story. There was one I was on the fence about. I remember writing that outline, and it was one where they were, like, the lady told them, you know, got freaked out, wouldn't let them in the house, and then they, like, hung around for, like, a half hour, an hour after. Right. And were just, like, knocking on her windows and shit. That's, yeah, that's terrifying <laughs> that would be creepy for you you don't that's your nightmare right people on your windows well that i mean that's one of the reasons why i close the blinds at night like i don't need motherfuckers staring in at me fucking I richard, richard ramirez in my ass or something <laughs> i actually i thought of you last night because it was like 1 30 in the morning i was playing uh the U- the new ufc game on xbox i had all my windows wide open <laughs> dude somebody's creeping on you for sure <laughs> 
Ugh. So I think we discussed a little bit that, you know, we might do a uh, some some more black eyed children stories down the road. Those are fun. Yeah. Do that. Like yeah. a, a men in black type thing, too. Yeah. There's a ton of stories out there about both of them. Yeah. Since people seem to either dig it or were creeped out by it. Maybe we'll do that. But I was a little surprised. So. And also, before we get started here today, I'd just like to say, Ian, fuck the Steelers. Um, <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> fuck the Steelers. <laughs> fuck them. That's all. Oh, big game uh, this weekend. Today, really, when this episode drops. Release day. Today. That's right. Tonight. Yeah. yeah. Is it the primetime game? That's yeah. It. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Fuck, fuck Ben Roethlisberger. Fuck <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Just fuck them. That's I all. Know. That's all I got. I mean, the Browns will probably win the Super Bowl, right? I, I don't see why they wouldn't. Yeah. It's our destiny. If I have to go walking around in public on Sunday wearing my Steelers hat, I'll be like the most hated person in town. Leon, you don't leave the house. <laughs> what are you talking about? Surely you just. You mean at 2.30, the raccoons at Speedway are going to give a shit for wearing your Steelers <laughs> uniform or your Steelers gear? Honestly, out in our town here, there's... A lot of Pittsburgh Steelers fans for some reason. There's a lot of Steelers fans really all over the Cleveland area. There is. And they sell you know, they sell a lot of Steelers swag in the stores and everything. Yeah. You know, going back when I was a kid, people would have burned your fucking store down <laughs> if you had Steelers <laughs> merchandise in it. Well it's just a completely different now. Dave, in the eighties the Browns were good. That's, in in Ian and true. I's lifetime, the Browns have made the Super Bowl. Well, I guess since we were like old enough to like mm, follow football, right, right. the Browns have made the or made the Super made the playoffs. I think what ninety five, no two thousand two, and two thousand two was the last time we were the yeah. was the last two the times last, we made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Ninety five, I think they they had like eleven and five season. Two thousand two, they were like nine and seven or something. Oh, those games in the 80s. I remember riding a train downtown. Everyone was partying, drinking yeah. on the train. They were hanging John Elway in effigy down. Huge rally down in public square, man. Those days were John awesome. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That was now Browns, Brown stuff. Now Browns fans do that going to the game, and then they drink somberly on the way home and get blackout drunk. <laughs> That's right. Because, you know, we go 0-16, 1-15. Yeah. We go 5-11. and It's a great year. <laughs> so imagine this year, 11-5. and It's amazing. Wild. I'm loving it. So Ian, fuck the Steelers. To, to, to recap, <laughs> fuck the Steelers. And Dave, you're a Buckeyes fan. National championship game. Yeah, maybe. This is sports talk with Mike, Dave, and Ian. Yeah. Everyone's got COVID. <laughs> they might be postponing. They said they push in a week, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Can you handle Tom back Brady's to back? back in, oops, sorry, go ahead. Uh, can you handle back to back nights, Dave, of Browns and, the, and Steelers and then Buckeyes playing? How fun would that be? Whew. That's good stuff. It's quite there. a hangover on Tuesday. Yeah, for Ian when the Steelers lose. <laughs> uh, what'd you say about Tom Brady? I heard uh, heard about the, uh, you were calling I, on the I, God. Mike's masturbating over yeah. here, Ian. He heard, he heard, <laughs> he's back in the playoffs with Tampa Bay. Of course he is. He'll take him to the Super Bowl probably and win. <laughs> Can you imagine if it's Tampa Bay versus Cleveland in the Super Bowl? My head would explode. I don't know what to, who to root for. What do I do? Oh, my God. What do I do? The, the greatest of all time versus Get my hometown here, team. That bullshit. I know. I'm sorry. I'd always root for Tom. I'm just kidding. We know. I remember that one Super Bowl, that one year you were, I think it was, it was the one they played Atlanta. Yes. They were, yeah. The Patriots were down and you kept saying like, you know, Tom's going to win. Yeah. Cause he, this is America. Tom represents yeah. America. Oh yeah. He'll the whole win. game. Whole game. <laughs> hey, it's not over yet. They're coming back. They're coming back. It's not over yet. <laughs> what happened? You masturbated all over the TV and <laughs> shot Tom Brady jizz across the whole room. I jizzed all over his face. 
That's the stupidest thing I've ever said. <laughs> you made me feel better with that laugh, Dave. Thank you. Are they still together? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. She would never leave him, of course. No. And he keeps her around because why not? Because why not? Anyways, I, I was trying to make this a short <laughs> intro because we have a lot to talk about tonight. But uh, we got anything else to get off our chest at the start? I'll announce that we have a, a kegerator now in the studio. And then what? Are you going <laughs> to let me have some? You're already on like your fifth one. That's what are you true. talking about? It's, they go down real quick in this Edmonton Oilers pint glass, pint plastic cup <laughs> that I'm using because <laughs> I don't want to spill and break a glass on the show. So the problem being that people like to hear that cracking of the beer and that might not necessarily take place throughout the show anymore because we're just going to go fill up in the keg. You mean that? So I was thinking maybe I test out some replacement sounds and see what you guys like best. So each time we have to go get a pour from the keg, right. we would play this sound instead so that people know right. that we're doing our part and still drinking. Because yeah, they like that. While providing award-winning right. content. How about this one? Samuel Adams. Yeah. Samuel Adams. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> I'm thinking about beer. <laughs> that was a good one. What we got here? That's a pretty good one. That's pretty good, except it's, it was like a bottle opening. Yeah. That little That's a long one. You get the whole pour. I got I got this one. That's very similar, kind of the same. Pretty deal. much what we did on every other yeah. show. I got Country Mike. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. You're opening your beer. Sound like me in college. And I got Whiskey, Beer, Tequila, More Beer, More Vodka. Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> the best. I vote that one and right. we interrupt with you know with that 36 second clip. Every time? Ian <laughs> would be so annoyed. <laughs> Hang on Ian, here we go. <laughs> or I was thinking just do the Peter Curtain. <laughs> well, that's about how I feel when you you know when you get a good pour out of a, a tap like that. How do you feel? I feel pretty <laughs> I mean, if you get good head on the top of it, then you, you that's what you're feeling like. Speaking of head. Three weeks from tonight, four weeks, three weeks from tonight, Casey Anthony episode. Outstanding. I think it might be the first uh, innocent person we've discussed on this show. <laughs> per the courts, absolutely. <laughs> per the courts, absolutely. <laughs> Tell you what she's guilty of, passing out boners. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to We're getting the jokes out of the way because we got shit to get into. I, for one, have been excited about this subject for a long time. I legitimately, well, surprise, surprise, I know nothing of this story. And once I knew we were going to be covering it on the show, and when we talked about it like a year ago, I have avoided any and all documentaries or information about this. I legit am going into this like I did the, the uh, John Benet Ramsey one. I know nothing about this case. I want to learn on the show. And we'll give our thoughts as we go. I thought you were going to say like every other show we do. I did say that. I said, <laughs> surprise, surprise. I know nothing about it. But I purposely avoided any information on this one because I did not want to know a single. And that's, I didn't know. Fun. I didn't yeah. know who was killed in this. Yeah. I didn't know who were the suspects. I don't know if they were related. I don't know if they're not. I still don't know because I've only read the notes he gave us for part one. I am learning as we go. Well, I don't I don't like, you know reading about death in my free time so. maybe uh maybe a lot of people out there are the same as you don't really know a lot about it if they're listening to us probably not yeah that's true you know 
<laughs> it takes a, a it's a certain genre of people that yeah. like to listen to us. That was my alternate opening. If you thought the West Memphis Tree was a blues trio from Memphis, Tennessee, then that's why I was here. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for their their cover of Wagon Wheel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian, let's dive into it. We got three weeks worth of content uh, over the next three weeks. Let's get into it. At 7.41 p.m. on May 5th, 1993, John Mark Byers called the West Memphis Police Department to possibly report his stepson is missing, saying the last time that he saw him, he was cleaning the front yard at 5.30 p.m. John Byers is mainly referred to as Mark Byers in all the documentaries, media, his friends, everybody calls him Mark Byers, so that's what we're going to go with for the rest of, uh, for the rest of this series. And if you get into watching all those documentaries, this guy is far and away the most interesting person in the documentary. He is uh, quite an uh, entertaining fella. He's, uh, yeah, he's something else. And uh, I'm sure, I probably, I would assume part two, we'll talk about talk about that in the documentaries. I, I have some thoughts on the Paradise Lost documentaries Yeah, in regards to Mark Byers, but... Uh, I mean, I did a whole 360 and probably more on my thoughts on, on this guy and possible involvement, you know, as, as you go through the whole story. He's a, he's a one-of-a-kind individual, mm. for sure. Exactly. <laughs> At 8 p.m., Officer Regina Meek arrived, and Mark Byers explained to her that his stepson's name is Christopher Byers, aged eight years old, and he was on Ritalin for ADD and had not taken his medication yet that day. Mark Byers told her, that the last time he saw Christopher was at 5.30 p.m. and he was cleaning the front yard. But Dana Moore had seen him at 6 p.m. playing with her son, Michael Moore, who is also eight years old. After taking the report from Mark Byers, Officer Meek received another call for a disturbance at a Bojangles restaurant nearby. This call was placed by the manager of the restaurant, Marty King. Officer Meeks arrived at Bojangles and took the report through the drive through window. She did not go inside to investigate. Marty King reported that about 30 minutes prior to his call, a bleeding black man entered the woman's restroom at the restaurant. Marty King said that this man had blood on his face, seemed very disoriented, and wandered away from Bojangles minutes before Officer Meek showed up. After he wandered away, employees reported that there was blood smeared on the walls of the women's restroom. Do you think that's common taking the report in the fucking drive through uh, no, no, I don't. Very lazy. <laughs> I don't think they teach that. Jesus. While taking this report, Officer Meek received another call for a criminal mischief complaint. Uh, also, in all fairness, Dave, apparently she was the only officer working that night. <laughs> That's right. She received 107 <laughs> calls in one hour. <laughs> so she probably had to stop. She went through the drive through of Bojangles, got some chicken, and was just on her way. <laughs> oh, I'll, yeah, I'll take your report, but, you know, give me my chicken and my potatoes. <laughs> Speeding things up. Uh, according to her, this is why she did not enter the Bojangles restaurant to investigate further. Uh, what it sounded like was she took the report down. They said this guy walked away and she's like, well, he's not here. If you see anything else, let me know. I'll report it. I'll you know take the report. But that's that's how she tells it. This criminal complaint that she got was regarding someone throwing eggs at a house. And after taking the report from the homeowners, she received another call for a missing child. Look, as someone who's been chased by the cops for doing criminal mischief, like <laughs> TPing houses and throwing eggs, it's not that important, Officer Meeks. Maybe you should have went inside the Bojangles. <laughs> Could have waited. At 9.24 p.m., Officer Meeks showed up at the home of Dana Moore, 
who is reporting her son is missing. Just give like a layout real quick of the neighborhood too. So Dana Moore lived across the street from Mark Byers. So they're, they're, they're basically neighbors. She told Officer Meek that the last time she had seen her son, Michael Moore, he was riding bikes with his friends, Christopher Byers and Stevie Branch. Stevie Branch was also eight years old. When the boys got out of sight, Dana sent her daughter Dawn to look for them, but Dawn couldn't find them. While all of this was going on, a second officer was was dispatched to Catfish Island Restaurant to take another missing persons report, this time from a woman named Pam Hobbs, the mother of Stevie Branch. Her husband and stepfather of Stevie, Terry Hobbs, showed up to pick up Pam from work and had their daughter Amanda in the car, who was around four years old at the time. So this neighborhood, I guess lower middle class neighborhood based on the video stuff I was looking at, would you agree? Uh, yeah, for this area, uh, yeah, lower to middle class, yeah, yeah for working sure. Working class neighborhood. And then when we get to, you know, part two, when we get to uh, some of the, some people involved and then, you know, especially the the West Memphis three themselves, then we're talking extreme poverty, you know, yeah. very, very... Uh, impoverished areas of this community. Pam said things were off right away because Terry didn't say anything to her and he immediately went to a payphone to make a phone call. She also immediately noticed that Stevie wasn't with Terry. At this point, Pam was sitting in the truck with Amanda and Terry got in and told her that Stevie is missing and he just placed a phone call to the police. I don't think normal people behave like that and that's a red flag for me. When the police arrived, Pam told them she hadn't seen Stevie since he arrived home from school, that he was going to play with his friends, Michael Moore and Christopher Byers. This really isn't out of the normal, especially for the time. In 1993, things were a little bit looser with kids going out and playing, and I would assume they still are in small towns like this. The boys often rode their bikes around and knew to be home by dark or at least stay in the general area of their neighborhood. Like, I grew up in a small town, and that's how it was for me. I was allowed to go out, you know, wherever I wanted, basically, as long as I stayed within, as long as I didn't go walking on the other side of town, you know. Yeah, I was the same way. We were out till dark, you know, just running around the neighborhood, and, uh, you know, as long as you checked in every now and then, it was no big deal. I mean, back in the 50s when I was growing up, it was, (laughs) you know, it was a lot different. (laughs) I was just trying to beat Mike to that joke, so I did it for him. I wasn't even thinking it, Dave. wasn't even thinking it. Get home, watch uh, Howdy Doody on TV. Maybe a little Andy Griffith. That's a good show. Andy actually. Griffith. I like some Andy Griffith. Some, uh, what's the other shit? Bonanza. You watch some Bonanza back then? <laughs> Bonanza. Gunsmoke. All that good stuff. I was actually trying to figure out how to open my can of beer after we just told everyone we have a new keg, but we're in the middle and I can't reach the keg from here. That's why if you saw I was pulling on my cord before, I was trying to see if I could reach. And I think if I do it from under the table, I might be able to reach it, but I got to I got to reset my headphones. But I have don't worry. I have a cooler under my table with a, a case full of beer. So I, you know, keg's not enough for this fucking guy. Well, I can't his... reach it in the middle of the show. Maybe you don't drink three times as fast as a normal human being. Look, I get parched. <laughs> so the issue with the neighborhood that they live in is there's a section of woods that separates the neighborhood from the interstate highway 40 and a large 24-hour truck stop and these woods are known as robin hood hills the parents didn't want the boys playing in these woods because of the extremely busy area being so close the boys had oftentimes gotten in trouble for sneaking into the woods to go play before 
and it's suspected that that's where they went since they were last seen headed north. Look, playing in the woods is one of the most fun things a kid can do. I mean, that's what when I was growing up, that's what we did was always fucking around in the woods and stuff. Yeah, exactly. At this point, the parents, police and some neighbors were out searching for the boys, asking anyone if they've seen them. And some started going into the woods and asking people at the truck stop. Around midnight, the parents started going home with Mark Byers continuing to search a little while longer, which we're going to get into in a bit. Police continued the search through the night, and the next morning they started to get help from some outside police agencies like the city of Memphis as well as the county sheriff's department. While this search was going on, investigator Don Bray had a scheduled interview with a woman named Vicki Hutchinson. The reason for this was because Vicki worked at the truck stop across the woods, and she was suspected in a $200 credit card fraud issue that happened at the truck stop. And this wasn't an interview that Don Bray called her in during the search. Like this was a planned, this was already scheduled from like the day or two before. So it wasn't necessary. It was not at all related to the, the disappearance of the kids. No, no, not at all. Vicky showed up for the interview with her eight year old son, which officer Bray noted as not being great because this was a criminal interview and he didn't feel that it was appropriate to be discussing this stuff in front of her child. Probably not. Vicky explained the reason for bringing her son, Aaron, was because he was good friends with the three who were currently missing and she wanted to keep him close. That's understandable, for sure. Or she just was lying on the garner sympathy having her kid there. It deflect a yeah. little bit. I didn't steal no 200 nothing from no truck stop. Tell him, Billy Bob. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him your mom was a good girl. Tell him, Billy Bob. Vicky went on to tell Officer Bray that on the previous day, May 5th, Christopher Byers and Michael Moore showed up asking if Aaron could go and play with them in the woods, to which Vicky said no. Because like we said, these woods were a known area where it wasn't just the parents of the three boys missing. It was, you know, the whole the whole neighborhood, the whole community area. They did not want their kids playing in this area. Officer Bray jumped on this detail because now they have someone who saw two of the boys on the day they went missing in confirmation that they were headed to the woods. By this time, it was early afternoon and Officer Bray put in a phone call to the police that were searching, but was told to hold off on that info because they had just found the bodies of the three boys in the Robin Hood Hills woods. Oh, mm. so again, ad- admission time. Surprise, surprise. But people are going to shit on me, whatever. I, I coming into this, I had no idea the victims of this story were children. Well, oh, so you legit knew nothing. I was not lying earlier when I said I knew nothing of the story. I took you at face value when you said you yeah. knew nothing about it. I this. did not know until <laughs> Ian sent us the notes and I read them that it was kids. Yeah. Yeah. And because I, perp- well, one, I just, I don't follow a lot of this, you know, true crime stuff. And then two, when this happened, I was young. And then three, when, when I knew we were going to do this show, I wanted to go into this one yeah. knowing very little. It's more fun for me when I get to learn on the, on the show. Yeah, I, we can't all be experts like, like Dave and Ian. Well, Mike, to be, and you're, to be fair, this is a pretty obscure story, and there wasn't like there was any celebrity involvement. It wasn't really a widespread or well-known story, so that's completely understandable. When did this happen again? Oh, yeah. I was like six years old. Yeah? Seven. Excuse me. Seven. When this happened. Even if there was celebrity involvement, I wouldn't have known. Fucking unless Hulk Hogan was involved, I didn't give a shit. <laughs> Seven years old. He was still masturbating to uh, Shawn Michaels tights at that age. Come on. Uh, no, sir. Not in 1993. 
It's like, mommy, great tights mommy, back my pee pee feels weird watching <laughs> Shawn Michaels. <laughs> and that you also just broke news to me. I had no idea there was celebrity involvement. If that's what you were hinting at. <laughs> Sorry, I don't watch. I don't watch the TMZs. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Jesus. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Something happened 40, 30 years ago. I was five. <laughs> So Officer Bray got off the phone and continued his interview with Vicky to see if he could get some more information out of her about the previous day. According to her son, Aaron, all these boys snuck into the woods often and they would even go swimming in the creek. This creek was pretty big and pretty deep in some spots, like four or more feet. Aaron also told Officer Bray that they all had a clubhouse in the woods. So this is somewhere that they snuck into a lot. So enough to have a a fucking clubhouse out there. That sounds awesome. That's what everyone would love. That'd be a good time. (laughs) Right. Aaron went on to tell Officer Bray that just after school on May 5th, he had seen Michael Moore talking with a black man. This man was apparently telling Michael Moore that he had been sent by Michael's mother to pick him up after school. Aaron described this man as tall, with yellow teeth, some kind of writing or design on his shirt, and driving a maroon car. Now, Michael Moore's mom would say that she didn't send anybody to pick up her son, and Michael walked straight home from school and didn't mention, and he didn't mention anything to about talking to a stranger. Mm. Back in the Robin Hood Hills woods, and we're still in May 6th, police are basically going through every inch of the woods when a Critton County juvenile officer, Steve Jones, noticed a child's black laceless tennis shoe floating in the creek at 3 at 1.30 p.m. Steve Jones called over the police and Detective Brian Ridge volunteered to get down into the creek and search. Like we said earlier, this water was muddy, like to the point where you put your hand in just a couple inches and you can't see it anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it almost looks like it's like, you know, like when you see like a flood or something and it's just like straight up like mud water. That's pretty much what it looked like. Like swimming out in really, uh, Wallace Lake out here. That's where by where you grew up, Mike. Did you ever go swimming there? Uh, it was yeah. Like as kids, like you, like, they take us like field trips and stuff. It's just yeah. mud water. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so gross. It's Fucking, I hate awful. the outdoors. And <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, we also said it's it's pretty deep in some spots. Like like your typical creek, you know, like you know, six inches here, but then all of a sudden it'll get down to four feet. Yeah, sure. So Detective Ridge was down on all fours at some points, combing his hands for whatever he could find. And the bottom of the creek was extremely muddy. So Detective Ridge was getting stuck in spots as he was combing through the water. And it was described as like suction cup with his foot. Like he actually, you know, he would actually really have to pull out at some points to get to get unstuck from mud. After about 10 to 15 minutes of searching, he bumped into something. And upfloated the body of Michael Moore. Oh, can you imagine? Mm. Uh, this was, you know, obviously a shocking sight. Not only did this detective basically kick up the body of an eight-year-old child from a muddy creek, but Michael Moore was nude and hogtied with shoelaces, left wrist back to left ankle, and right wrist back to right ankle. Detective Ridge also noticed that Michael's head and face looked to have some injuries, like he had been beaten. 
and well, you just watched the documentaries again, Dave. The, yeah. the first one opens up with the crime scene photos, yeah. and they are some of the worst crime scene photos I've ever seen. You just don't normally see stuff like that in true crime documentaries. No, it's it's awful. It's awful. And I, I I think a lot of it has to do with the position, you know, them being tied like that, and they're frozen yeah. from you know rigor mortis, frozen yeah. tied like that. It's really. Yeah, that's that's hard to watch. I I turned away at some of that. Michael's body was pulled out and Detective Ridge got back into the creek to keep searching. After a bit, he pulled up the body of Stevie Branch, who was nude and tied in the same manner as Michael Moore. Again, it appeared that Stevie had been beaten in the face and head area, but also had what looked like cuts and bite marks on his face and neck area. After his body was pulled out, Detective Ridge got in for a third time, and shortly after, he found the body of Christopher Byers. Christopher Byers was nude and tied in the same way as the other two boys. The difference with Christopher's body was that he floated up face down, and when Detective Ridge turned him over in the water, one of the first things he noticed was that Christopher Byers appeared to be castrated. Yikes. And the, best, the best way to describe this injury is that it looked like his penis had been cut downwards and the head of his penis was missing. And they kind of close up in the document, in the Paradise Lost documentaries on pictures of those, you know, those oh, crime really? scene photos. And it's, it's just god awful. No. The documentaries don't censor anything from. No, not at all. That That's stuff. the one that was on HBO. Yeah. 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 Well, they don't have to really, right? They don't have to. Mm-mm. Man, it's brutal. That's hard to watch. Getting back in the water for a final time, Detective Ridge found that the boys had been anchored to the bottom of the creek using sticks. Some of these sticks looked like they were just broken off of trees, but a few looked like someone had taken the time to sharpen them. Also anchored down at the bottom with sticks were the boys' clothing. They found all three sets of clothes, but were missing one sock and two pairs of underwear. An odd detail and one that stood out to investigators was that the boys' pants were inside out, but still buttoned and zipped up. Mm. So what does that mean? Because they were jeans, you know, like pants. They were thinking, you know, it would be hard to get them fully all the way perfectly inside out, probably, if they were just pulled down off of them. Mm. But then at the same time, who's going to take the time if they are inside out to... or you know, who's going to take the time to button them and zip them back up inside out? Like, it's just a weird, odd detail. Yeah. The whole stick thing, I, I don't know. There's some kind of, some sort of clue here. It seems like, you know, a hurried way to hide the body, like sharpening sticks and pinning them down. I don't know. Not sure what that says yet. Like, it was a crime of opportunity, not not something planned. Like, that's just a hurried way to get rid of the bodies and right. a quick yeah, way to pin, pin them underwater with, you right. know. Spur of the moment kind of thing. I don't know. It's strange. Something odd. Now, here we're going to get to the first big fuck up in this case. Uh-oh. You mean after Bojangles? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's wrong? You got beef with Bojangles? <laughs> oh, you mean the, the drive-thru? <laughs> I've never actually had Bojangles. I haven't either. Was it chicken I place? It's, it's like good. a southern like chicken place. Is yeah. it good? I've actually yeah, heard their... good. I've mm. heard their breakfast is what like their big go-to is. Hmm. Because the bodies were reported to have all been out on the bank of the creek at 1.45 p.m. and the coroner's office wasn't called in for almost two hours, they didn't arrive until 3.20 p.m. 
The police were also given permission via phone from the coroner's office to put sheets over the boys' bodies. You could chalk this up to being shocked by the whole situation, like how the boys were found in this being a really small police department that they're not used to something like this. And really, I mean, it's really an, uh, I don't know if any police department would be used to finding three boys like that tied like that. Yeah. Um, but this would be a massive mistake in determining the time of death. It was very hot on that day with humidity and things. It was in the nineties and this was a very marshy area. We're going to talk about it more in part three, but there are some unfortunate things that happen to a body when, when it's left out in the heat in the outdoors. Oh, sounds delicious. <laughs> this area was a breeding ground for mosquitoes. And like, we're talking brutal bites. Like you would be covered in mosquito bites, just spending a little bit of time in these woods when it was like a hatching time. Reason number 457 to stay inside. Ugh, awful. <laughs> oh, in the you, south. You the know south who, is horrible. I agree. Plus the humidity. Uh. You know who never gets mosquito bites? Ian and I. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the main reasons that people began to give up their search the night before because the mosquitoes were so brutal. And we're going to have a lot of issues with juvenile officer Steve Jones in part two. But to his credit, he was one of the only people uh, people that, who braved the mosquitoes and kept searching through the woods that night. Oh, God, that sounds awful. I mean, I don't know. I feel like even a non-professional knows that you can't leave bodies out in swampy fucking 90-degree weather, right? But these are just, just small-town cops. I guess. You're like, not are used they... to... They're just shocked, right? You're not used to finding three bodies. Right. And honestly, I don't know that the coroner... The coroner is an elected position... You know, yeah, and I don't even know there's a requirement to be an actual pathologist in some of these states. And I mean, we're talking about Arkansas. I'd like to right? not, I'd like to announce my candidacy for coroner of West Memphis. <laughs> I recall reading that like it's not you know it's just an elected position right. and not necessarily do you have to be an actual MD or a pathologist or anything something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. So but he's I just, just like, recall he's reading like, Fuck that. it, you! I'm on my break. I'm eating lunch yeah, at right. Bojangles. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. Sure, when I get throw there. a sheet over him. I don't know. I'm not an MD. What the fuck do I know? And like from the the cops' perspective, then, and I'm just thinking like I'm trying to dumb myself down to be dimwitted, which is very hard for a genius like myself. <laughs> but like, if you're just pulling these bodies out, they're already they're probably wet. There's bugs all around them. Maybe you think I'm gonna throw a sheet on them just to kind of preserve them a little bit, help dry them up, and keep the bugs away. Yeah, who knows? I'm just, I know. I don't know. You're just in the spur of the moment. That's what you're thinking. Maybe big mistake. Should you have even pulled them out of the creek? Is that the first question? Uh, if this show has taught me anything, it's when if you see any crime, you get the fuck out out, and you make sure you you clear yourself from <laughs> anything before you do anything else <laughs> to help anybody. No. You need to make sure you clear yourself. Uh, <laughs> Of any wrongdoing and make sure that you there's no uh, marks and evidence back to you. I don't disagree with that. I would the body would pop up in the water and I'd have my lawyer on the phone be like, <laughs> uh, just want to let you know, here's the situation I am in. I am backing out of this muddy water and I'm going to need you to get down here quick. Yeah. Thank you, Dave, for that education. Sure. I'm going to call my lawyer as the body is still fresh in front of me. Absolutely. FaceTime the whole thing and record it. <laughs> and I'm not suggesting this coroner in particular was not a doctor. I'm just saying I believe there's some locations in this country where it's not necessarily a prerequisite. Yeah. Probably just well, the, we're the gonna... shitty states like, you know, Mississippi and Arkansas and Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we're going to talk about that a lot in part two and with the trials, because there, there's a lot of issues with the, the medical examiner, the coroner in this uh, in this case. He is a very incompetent in- individual and um, he is elected. Maybe I'm right. God damn. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, issues with mm. him that we're going to talk about. See, mm. and, you know, as far as the police, like handling this, like Detective Ridge, I would say he's. That guy is probably traumatized at that. But he's pulled those three boys out of the oh, water. Oh, God, yeah. So he's not doing anything. At pro- you know, that guy's not going to make any, you know, great decisions immediately, I wouldn't think. I mean, these are Andy so. Fight or, uh, um, not Andy. What? Barney. Geez, Barney Fife. I'm, I'm, I'm zoning out here. These are Barney, Barney Fife. Fife type cops, That's right? the Andy Griffith show. Uh, that's, I was saying Andy Fife. I'm mixing them yeah. up. <laughs> but I mean, it's not a, it's not a, you know, 2000 person, small town, but it's a, you know, like a 25, 30,000 small person, small town. Right. Yeah. So these are this not like Mayberry. Yeah. Yeah. Still, but still they're Andy not. Griffith they, never didn't even carry a gun. Hmm. That's my America. You like that? <laughs> That's your America. <laughs> Barney carried a gun, but I don't think it was ever loaded. Andy. <laughs> also <laughs> shout out to longtime listener of the show. My dad, his all time favorite show. There you go. Don't they have like a. A festival done in Mayberry, North Carolina every year. He should go down there and check it out. Maybe a bucket list thing. See? Does Andy Griffith still show up to those? He's, is he still alive and kicking? I Isn't think he still so, going? yeah. After the Matlock. He was on Matlock yeah. for 58 years. And Andy, <laughs> what are you doing here? Can I do a Barney Fife? <laughs> <laughs> Barney Fife's a great character. <laughs> do, who, do, who was the drunk? Or the guy was always in the drunk tank. Like they would just leave the cell open for him and yeah. he would just go in and put himself in it every night. <laughs> sober up and then come out. Damn it. My dad listening right now is like, you motherfuckers. He's, so, idiots. he's so disappointed in you. Yeah. But I don't, I didn't watch the show that much. Oh, uh, Floyd's the hair, the barber. Floyd, the barber. Yeah. Floyd, I don't like this haircut. <laughs> <laughs> and MB and Opie. I, yeah. Opie Ron Howard. Yeah, for those yeah. of you in modern days. Like we were saying, though, you know, it was an extremely hot day. The water was also reported to be around 60 degrees. So this didn't help with decomposition. But the boy sitting on the bank for an extended period of time in in the heat ramped up the decomposition process. And this was ramped up even further when sheets were placed over them, holding in the heat. Flies and mosquitoes had also started laying eggs in the eyes, nose, and mouths of the boys, which also hindered figuring out the time of death. Mm, yikes. Police still had more investigating to do and found the bikes that the boys were on sunk in the water about 50 feet from where the bodies were found. The first thing that you'd, you'd think or that they thought were, where's the third bike? But it made sense because it was reported that Christopher Byers was on a skateboard and at some point presumably because he couldn't keep up with the other two, he ditched his skateboard and got on the back of one of the two bikes. We'll be right back. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. 
BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Necro. At this point, it was now up to lead detective Gary Gitchell to inform the families that the boys were found and had clearly been murdered and tell the media that this was no longer a missing persons case, but a homicide. I mean, and this is a pretty, uh, there's, there's film of this. This yeah, is pretty, pretty yeah. it's pretty, you know, Pam Hobbs faints yeah. she just passes out. Who the hell was recording this? Why were they recording this? The news was there. Cause it was like a, you know, like, like they didn't take her in private to tell her that her son was found dead. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, they were out waiting by the woods for the search and, mm. you know, Gitchell comes up and oh, can you I, imagine? I think what it was almost awful. like she, I, I would assume it was almost like a, she, you know, they knew based off the police's reactions yeah. that that was not good. Yikes. So starting the investigation now into three murders, Gitchell was offered the help of the state police, to which he turned down and said, no, this is a local issue. Good move, Gary. I mean, it's probably arrogance. I don't know. Who knows? But it would come back to haunt him because the main thing the police always want is they don't want details of something like this getting out too much. So they have information that only the killer would know. Well, it's helpful when you're interviewing suspects and weeding out the the people are just bragging or you know telling crazy stories right and, and this isn't great on the state police but since he turned down their help the state police weren't on the case and they were freely talking about it over their inner over their transmissions <laughs> this was picked up by listening to the police scanner by the local newspaper memphis commercial appeal and the next day they ran it on the front page of the paper well yeah that'll happen i used to have scanners that was fun those apps now you can do. Yeah, you don't even need the old handheld scanner. You yeah. can get, in the old days when people used cordless phones, you could get on the frequency and listen to your neighbor's cordless phone on the scanner. What's a cordless phone, Dave? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of my my grandparents' house because my my grandfather was a police officer. My my grandma had a police scanner going on all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's, f- it's fun. They're That's fun nice. to listen to sometimes. Yeah. yeah. 
since this wasn't an official statement, the paper had some of the details wrong. They had it correct on how the bodies were found, but they reported that all three boys were castrated, which wasn't accurate. Christopher Byers was the only one, and that wasn't even confirmed other than appearances. With this setback, the investigation moved forward with Gitchell's three options of who could have done this. Someone the boys knew, a stranger, or a group of people. Well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock, unless you're going to add aliens. <laughs> I don't know what other fucking option there is. Black-eyed children. <laughs> it's black-eyed children, obviously. Hey, it's either one person or many people or someone you know or someone you don't know. That's who we're narrowing the focus on. <laughs> Thanks, John Madden. <laughs> if they score more touchdowns than the other team, they're going to win. They're probably going to win this game. <laughs> They would interview the parents, which we're going to get into in a minute, which makes sense because, you know, recent statistics show that when a child is murdered, it's a little over 50% of the time that it was done by a parent. And there's some criticism as to how little they question the parents, specifically Terry Hobbs, which we will get into probably in part three. And also the fact that the boys were found on the 6th and none of the family members were interviewed until the 10th. Seems strange. Which yeah, four days to, like, let's say that one of the parents was involved in this. That's four days to get your story straight. Mm-hmm. Or even if it was just an ancillary family member, like the, an uncle was visiting or something. I mean, it, it seems like the most information to, to garner would be talking to the parents, right? I Yeah. Statistically. One of the first ideas that was brought up was based on how the boys were tied. This wasn't a normal hog tie, and it was pointed out that the way that the boys were tied was how American POWs were tied by Vietnamese during the Vietnam War. So maybe they were dealing with a vet. Hmm. An odd detail about the knots was that the knots tied to Christopher Byers and Michael Moore were all the same. But two of the four knots used to tie up Stevie Branch were different. This put them on a path a little more that it was more than one person involved. Seems, that's a strange detail. Yeah, very. Yeah, very. Well, and also it seems pretty tough for one person to incapacitate and tie up all three of them. Unless, you know, but, some are already dead or unconscious. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's odd. This would turn up to be a cold lead, but they took tons of evidence in the first couple of days, uh, like blood and urine samples from 11 people, footprint impressions, knives from these people, Uh, samples of the creek water, and many other items. Also cataloged into evidence was a single hair of a black man found on one of the sheets covering the boys. Uh, Remember, on the evening of May 5th, when the boys went missing, police were also called to the Bojangles restaurant for a report of a black man covered in blood who went into the women's restroom, and Officer Meek never went in to investigate. Well, after it was reported in the news as to what happened to the boys, the manager of Bojangles, Marty King, called the police back and was like, hey, there was this guy. <laughs> Motherfuckers. <covered> in blood. <laughs> yeah, like, I filed a report. Like, you guys should come look at look into this some more. This guy's fucking covered in blood. <laughs> that motherfucker <sighs> just got her chicken and her potatoes and she drove off. Let me guess. The supervisor came to the drive through too. <laughs> took the follow up report. <laughs> Can I get some donuts? And a sweet tea? Isn't that what they drink down <laughs> yeah. there? Sweet tea? Ugh, awful. Do you like sweet tea? Mm-mm. Oh, so gross. It's too sweet. It's like pouring sugar down your throat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I like regular iced tea, non-sweetened with a little lemon. Yeah, yeah. sure. 
Sweet tea is just diabetes in a glass. Yeah, I just make iced tea. I don't put, I don't like it sweet. I just, right. Cold iced tea. Hey, I'm with you. I bet Ian likes sweet tea. I do like sweet tea. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) I like it both ways, but I do like sweet tea. Especially if it's made out, like sit out in the sun for a whole day. Oh, God. You never had sun tea before? So it's like, it's hot? Well, no, you cool it down like late. You put oh, it in, like the, you, you in the refrigerator. Make it by like putting it out in the sun? Yeah, you just put it in a mm. big like glass jar thing and throw it out in the sun for uh, half yeah, a day. Southern, I just, o- Southern Ohio stuff. Sweet here. tea. Yeah. Like that awful pizza. <laughs> they also he don't likes. cook their pizza. <laughs> <laughs> they cook the dough and just throw everything on it. We also said that there were there was blood on the walls in this in this restroom and you know it was described as being smeared on the walls but by this time the employees had cleaned it up because there was no investigation going on you know and that's really not I don't think that's the fault of the police too much because they have these three missing boys now that took over everything you know so they weren't thinking about going back to investigate Bojangles at the at this that, time that's fair that's fair sure I mean and you know on Bojangles on you can't have a bathroom and run a restaurant with blood all over your bathroom. <laughs> right. Just leave so, yeah, it there. they wiped it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. There was so- Good, well done by Bojangles. <laughs> well, I guess somewhat well done because we're about to get in here in a minute. Mm. There was also a pair of sunglasses left behind, which were presumed to be from the man, but they were thrown away by one of the employees. When police went back to investigate after being called again by Marty, they were able to get some blood scrapings from the walls, and Marty gave more information. He said that the man entered the restaurant on the evening of May 5th and appeared to be bleeding from his arm. He said the man was about 5'11", thin, in his late 20s, and was dirty. Marty also said that he was wearing jeans, a denim sleeveless shirt, and black shoes. Sounds like a country Mike outfit to me. Yeah, I mean, that's like my going out outfit. When I'm taking taking my dates out to East of Chicago Pizza, I wear that. It's called a Canadian tuxedo. Is that what it is? Yeah, okay. I mean, we're the old dad. Canadian tuxedo. Shout out to all my friends in Canada. Go Oilers. So with a black man's hair found on the sheet at the crime scene, you would think that the police could test that against the blood samples. But either conveniently or maybe by accident the blood sample was later lost oh that's weird (laughs) which i i don't know i you know i don't know i've never talked to a police officer about any of that kind of stuff you know i have a few in my family but i don't understand how evidence like that would just get lost yeah it seems weird Again, we're also dealing with like just a small town police department who are probably not used to this sort of thing. Yeah. Like they don't have a system for like probably storing evidence and tracking evidence, you know, like 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 the the one officer, the I forget her name, the girl from the beginning, Meeks, was literally like taking a report in a drive through line Mm -hmm. that unfortunately probably wasn't uncommon back then or in this this area. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying they, they probably just didn't have a system here. And know what to do. That's fair. Although I do think I, we're early in the story here, but I tend to think that this crime might have been able to be solved right away here. Oh, they, they should have done things right and probably should have been trained to. I mean, they, every police department should be trained to handle homicides, yeah. you know, and missing persons and things like that. Um, 
I think this might have been. But they did. You know, they, they might not have been. The one, I think this, this might, might be, have been the case. Here. This might be a systems issue, yeah. not so much individual uh, neglect by police. I can live with that assessment. That's fair. At least that's me five page into these notes. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Apparently, yeah. celebrities are going to come into town. I'm assuming Justin Timberlake <laughs> does a benefit concert. So I don't know what the fuck's going Something on. Something like that. Or, I mean, guess it's 93. So, like, Kurt Cobain does, like, a benefit concert, maybe. Pearl Jam opens. We'll see. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows where yeah. the story's going to yeah. take me? Kind of. You're on to something there. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Mm. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the parents' initial statements to police after the boys were found murdered. Uh, First, we'll talk about Todd and Dana Moore, the parents of Michael Moore. On May 5th, Todd Moore was out of town because he was a truck driver, and he didn't get back into town until the 6th when the boys were found. Dana Moore reported seeing the boys riding their bike sometime between 6 and 6.30 p.m. on the 5th with Christopher Byers riding on the back of one of the bikes. They were headed north towards the woods, and out of sight, so she sent her daughter Dawn to go look for them and tell them to get back. Dawn was around 10 years old at this point. Dawn said she couldn't find them, but that around 5.30 or 6 p.m., she noticed three teenagers coming out of the Robin Hood Hills wooded area and described them as one white male and two black males. Her time is off from Dana's, but like like you just said, she's a 10-year-old, so the police didn't view that as a huge deal because you know she's a kid what she was probably not going to know the exact time she said that when she got close to the three teenagers one of them asked her if she wanted to get shot she described the white male as wearing a yellow and black shirt and yellow and black shoes and she didn't give much information about the two black males figures fucking Steelers fans did this <laughs> they knew it <laughs> solved the case already. oh boy there you go. Like we talked about in the beginning, Dana Moore eventually called the police to report her child is missing at 9.24 p.m. Next, getting to the Byers family. Melissa Byers was a mother of Christopher Byers, with Mark Byers technically being the boy's stepfather, but Mark adopted him. Melissa had another child from a previous marriage named Ryan, who was a teenager at the time. We're going to get into a lot of speculation about Mark Byers, especially in part two and stuff. Um, But some people start pointing the finger at him that it's weird that Ryan wasn't adopted by Mark Byers, but Christopher was. But this is explained as that Melissa was pregnant with Christopher when her and Mark got married. So what I'm getting out of this is that Ryan is the Burke of this story. <laughs> Are you telling me right now he's the Burke of this story? No, no. no. <laughs> okay. Just want you guys to know where my head's at right now with this. I think that might be a little misplaced. Okay. Well, that's just my it's thoughts. Just, that's just my my <laughs> random drunken thoughts over here. I'm just learning as we go. It, it's just an unfair one. One unfair thing that gets pointed at Mark Byers. Gotcha. That doesn't make much sense. That's because Ian, you did smarten me up that uh, uh, you know Mark Mark was unfairly treated throughout some of this. And some of that he brings on himself. We'll talk about. Melissa Byers said that sometime around or after 5.30 p.m., Christopher came in and out of the house multiple times. She was on the phone with her boss, and she wasn't paying attention to how many times he came in and out, but at one point he came in to get a drink. Mark Byers said he saw Christopher around 5.30 p.m., and he was cleaning up the yard. Mark then had to leave to take Ryan to the courthouse because Ryan was a witness to a car accident, and he needed to give some information on that. 
When Mark returned home around 6.30 p.m., that's when he noticed that Christopher wasn't home. Mark's first concern was that Christopher had gone off on a skateboard, and specifically that he was riding his skateboard unsafely. Christopher had gotten in trouble with Mark earlier in the day because he was riding his skateboard on his stomach going down the middle of the road. That doesn't sound safe. Sounds fun, though. <laughs> Mark Byers fully admits it's it's not great. I don't agree with it, but he fully admits that he that he paddled Christopher with his belt because of that. Uh, it's something that's going to get brought up regarding Mark Byers, but you know, I think it has a little bit to do with the time, the area. Sure, and, sure, absolutely. You know, and it wasn't like he abused this, like beat the living. We're not talking like John Wayne Gacy's dad, how he beat the living shit out of Gacy. He, you know, it's not great, but he smacked him on the on his ass with a belt. But if I remember correctly, he said he didn't even pull his pants down. just spanking over the jeans. So not yeah, it was over anything his jeans. crazy, you know. Yeah. Hey, Dave, John Wayne Gacy was the clown. Oh, that See? guy. I, I was like, who's he talking about? I'm ready for, for trivia at the Gacy? end of the month. See who's that? <laughs> I'm ready for trivia at the end okay, of the month. Okay, are you? On Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Taking applications now. Two lucky losers are going to play me. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> Mark said that he then went inside the house and Melissa was still on the phone. He tried to ask her about Christopher, but she told him to hold on a second. So he and Ryan got in Mark's car and drove around to see if they could find Christopher out playing with his friends. And the other thing, and the thing that he said too, is that he was also just looking for the bikes laying in a front yard or something. Like they were in the backyard of someone else's house playing or something it was just common for these kids to ride or to just go wherever they wanted, basically around the neighborhood. After a while, they're not finding Christopher. They're not seeing the bikes anywhere. And they end up running into a police officer. Mark told the police officer what was going on and asked what he should do. At this point, it was 7.30 p.m. And the police officer told Mark that if Christopher didn't turn up by eight to call in and report him as missing. Mark headed back towards his house, and when he got close, he ran into Dana Moore. This is also when Mark met Terry Hobbs for the first time. Terry Hobbs is Stevie Branch's stepfather. He told Dana and Terry that if the boys hadn't turned up by 8 p.m., he was told to call the police. But Mark was getting really worried, so he didn't wait until 8, and he called at 7.41 p.m. The officer that told him, the gave him this advice, are they any of the... Are they in the story later as interviewing officers or anything like that? Uh, no, it's just a not. random copy ran into. Okay. Yeah. Which I guess it's better advice than some of these stories. Some, sometimes, you know, when you get into true, you know, listening to true crime stuff, they tell, Oh, you got to wait, you know, 72 hours, hours. Yeah, yeah. 72 yeah. hours. After speaking with Officer Meek when she arrived at 8 p.m., Mark and his stepson Ryan decided they were going to get back in the car to drive around looking, and they headed toward the Robin Hood Hills wooded area. Because Mark Byers comes under suspicion in this story, we need to note that he was not alone for these searches through the woods, and it wasn't just his stepson Ryan. As more people found out that the boys were missing, other people started going in the woods for some time, and Ryan, being a teenager, got some of his friends to join in. A good kid. Mm -hmm. Much better than Burke, a piece of shit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to get pissy and all. Why you got to bring Burke into this, poor guy? <laughs> Remember, I thought he was the Burke. Awful. You've changed my mind now a page later. 
<laughs> As they're searching the woods, they ran into Terry Hobbs, who was also looking. Mark said that he left the woods around 9.30 p.m. because it was getting dark and he didn't have a flashlight. As Mark was leaving, he ran into a police officer who asked him where he was going, to which Mark said, you know, I'm going to knock on this person's door up the street who I know to see if I can borrow a flashlight. The police officer told Mark he would accompany him into the woods with a flashlight to help. Like, no, no need to go do that. I'll, I'll help you out and we'll just keep looking. That's nice. At about 10.30 p.m., Mark turned to the police officer and asked something along the lines of, what do we do? It's like we're going around in circles in these woods. The police officer told Mark to head back home and try to rest a bit, and the police were going to keep looking. They were going to keep driving around, you know, and just wait a bit and put a call into Officer Meek to see if there were any updates. Mark made it back to his house around 11 p.m. and didn't wait very long to call Officer Meek, who told him that there haven't been any updates. And Mark's a bit odd, so maybe the officer was getting a little tired of him. He's like, yeah, why don't you go home and get a little rest, pal? <laughs> Mark's a little out there. Mark then called the sheriff's department to complain that the searching wasn't working and they needed to get some more resources out there, like the search and rescue team. After he got off the phone with the sheriff's department, he then, you know, kind of thinks, like, fuck this, I'm going back out and looking. So he took his stepson Ryan out with him again, and this time they drove to the truck stop area to search that side of the woods. Here Mark had Ryan shine the car lights into the woods, and Mark walked along the line of the woods just a couple feet in, yelling the boys' names. This wasn't turning up anything, so Mark headed back to the house, and now being midnight, he told Ryan to try and get some sleep. Mark then walked out to the front of his house and stood in the street talking to the parents of the other boys. This would be Mark, his wife, Melissa, Dana Moore, Terry Hobbs, Terry Hobbs' father-in-law, and a friend of Terry, David Jacoby. Whiskey, beer, tequila, more beer, more vodka, more whiskey, and more beer. Uh, sorry about that, Ian. had to grab a beer real quick. <laughs> we filled up. <laughs> we might have missed a couple of those fill-ups also. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Stone Cold promos of all time. <laughs> so the great. full promo is so amazing. After the group talked for about 30 minutes, they all went home. Mark was still restless and went back out to the edge of the woods by himself, yelling for the boys and didn't return home until about 2.30 a.m. He said there were still some people out looking and a few people out on four wheelers driving around. Once home, Mark said he couldn't sleep and basically sat there waiting for daylight. I don't know how anyone could sleep. I don't know how you would even yeah, go yeah. home. I, I mean, I get it. Like you, you're you're telling yourself, step away, yeah, take a break, go home. But you can't. You can't sleep. see any. You can't see anything. So then you get home and you're like, why the fuck am I here? I'm supposed to be out. Yeah. Like I should be out. Yeah. And then know. you know, it's a back and forth type thing. Yeah. That's an impossible situation. I say that like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. I really don't. Like well, these sir, people lost a kid. I'm not trying to pretend I know what they're going through. That'd be terrible. I'm just saying you can't. But you're never going to go home and you're sleep. You're not going to sleep. You're not going to sleep. It's just not possible. You're not going to sleep. And you're also not going to find anything in the middle of the night. Sure. With no flashlight or, you know, flashing your car lights yeah. on. You can only get how deep into the woods yeah. with your lights. At about 5.30 or 6 a.m., there was a knock on his front door, and it was the other parents, now including Todd Moore, who was home from his truck driving job and has now found out that his son is missing. 
Mark then went out and continued the search and speaking with police. So this is one of the most interesting things that I've found with doing this because the documentaries don't acknowledge Mark Byers alibi or what he did while the boys were missing and really getting into his statements. This does not seem like a guy that had anything to do with this. This sounds like a guy that was extremely concerned and was doing everything that he could think to do to try and find them. I agree. Like going through his statements, you, I, at least I got that sense, like the sense of like panic. Like when I was writing about this, I was, yeah. Like you, you go through his details and it's like, all right, about an hour or two out, like two hours in, it's like, okay, now something's really wrong. Yeah. Well, and he's an odd guy. So I think people see odd people like that and they start casting suspicion or doubt upon them. I don't necessarily think that means anything. Right. Nothing he's done thus far has been questionable to me. Like this seems like exactly what I think I almost feel like I would do in a lot of this. Like you're looking, you're desperate, Mm -hmm. you're going back and forth, back and forth, telling yourself you should take a break and then going. I I don't know. That seems very normal. You can. There's video of them from when this happened before they found them and him. Right. And you've seen that, right? Just that that same sort of news stock footage asking where the where the kids are. at. I forget what he said exactly, but he's just he's an odd guy. I think it doesn't lend itself to people being especially nice to you. Or people are not nice in general. Well, no, no, society is mean. Look what they did to poor Casey Anthony, Dave. <laughs> they, they dragged her whole name through the mud. I mean, eventually she was found not guilty and cleared of all charges. But look what that poor girl had to go through. I like how Ian takes a deep breath. Like, I don't want to do this show with these motherfuckers. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about all her lies in a couple weeks here. What was the word? What? What was the word? Ian says and drop some truth bombs on us. I'm going to drop some jury uh, bombs on you. I was going to just jerk off on Dave's floor. So <laughs> I'm trying to. Uh, I told you guys this. I'm trying to get a pen pal thing going with Jody Arias. Yeah, thought it'd be fun for the show. That'd be cool. See what she's up a pod, to big fr- friend of yours. Like two, we, two of us thought you were marriage material. I, that's what I'm going to highlight in the uh, in our correspondence, of course. One of us thought you were crazy. You should cut his dick off. His name's Mike. <laughs> and finally, we'll let's get into the Hobbs family. And Pam Hobbs is the mother of Stevie Branch, with Terry Hobbs being his stepfather. And they had a daughter together named Amanda, who at the time, like we said earlier, was around four years old. Pam often worked the night shift and Terry worked during the day. So someone was always with the kids. And when they weren't, Terry's friend, David Jacoby, and his wife would watch them. When Stevie got home from school, Pam was getting ready for her night shift and cooking dinner. Michael Moore followed close behind and Michael and Stevie went out to play. At some point, Christopher Byers showed up to see where Michael and Stevie were. And Pam told him that they were out playing. Christopher noticed that one of his favorite cartoons was on the TV and asked Pam if he could stay and watch it for a bit. She said, yeah, you know, no problem, whatever you want to do. And sometime between 3.30 p.m. and 4 p.m., the show ended. And when Christopher was leaving, Pam told him that if he saw Stevie, to tell him to come home. 4.30 p.m. came around and Stevie wasn't home, but Terry had to drive Pam to work because of a recent DWI. So Pam, Terry, and Amanda got in Terry's truck. They decided after Pam was at work that Terry would stop by the Moore's house to see if Stevie was there. Obviously, we know when Terry got to the Moore's house that the boys weren't there. 
Terry said that he drove around with Amanda for a while looking for the boys and then decided to return home around 6 p.m. to see if Stevie had returned home while they were out. According to Terry, this is when Dana Moore stopped by to see if the boys had shown up there. At this point, Terry followed Dana back to her house, and that is where he met Mark Byers for the first time. I bet that's interesting, meeting Mark Byers for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) This would have been sometime between 7.30 p.m. and 8 p.m., when Terry said he went to pick up his friend David Jacoby. According to Terry, he asked David to help look for Stevie, to which David agreed, and they went to search the woods. We're going off what Terry told the police on May. Like, all these statements are from May 10th, 1993, and this is what we're going off of for Terry, too. We're going to dig into this a lot more in part three about a deposition that Terry goes through and what David Jacoby recalls. After searching, Terry took David home and went with his daughter Amanda to go pick up Pam from work around 9 p.m. This is when Terry made the phone call to police from a payphone. After giving the report to police in the parking lot of the restaurant, they drove around for a bit, and at some point, Terry said he went back to pick up his friend David. Pam said that she went into the woods, but not long because of the mosquitoes, because they were so bad. According to Terry, he and David Jacoby searched the woods until late, and then returned to the neighborhood and talked in the street, where Mark Byers said that he first met David Jacoby, which would have been around 11.30 p.m., and Mark Byer said he was like, I don't even know this guy's name. Never met him before. And he couldn't when he gave this statement, when Mark gave his statement, he couldn't remember David Jacoby's name. And that's it for Terry Hobbs. You know, the police didn't really question him at all. And that's a big criticism. And when they first did, it was five days later. Right. And they barely talked to him. And can but I also like I say said, that already in May, if the mosquitoes are that bad, the South is just awful. And you can't even go in the woods in May, on May 5th. Because the mosquitoes are so bad. Doesn't sound like a place I would want to hang out. Well, I mean, you guys are outdoorsmen. It probably doesn't bother <laughs> you at all. But I'm more like used a, to it. I like to travel the north more. And, like, the, you know, I like to hike the mountains. <laughs> okay. So you don't really run I've into hiked those hiked the issues. Rockies. I've been at the top of Rocky Mountain. Really? How yeah. is it out there? Cold. But, you know, I had Doc Martens on and <laughs> a comfortable North Face jacket. And I was, I was okay. Nice. Yeah. Camped out and we like ate meat and because i myself was out the rocky mountains fish. a couple years ago and that's yeah. just you know, how you described it you know yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> love camping out there it's beautiful love sleeping under the stars where bugs can just eat at you while you sleep at night <laughs> so this is pretty much as far as it goes for suspects initially all right and we'll see you guys next week for casey <laughs> anthony hope you enjoyed west memphis three let us know your thoughts <laughs> It, we, you know, we talked about, you know, Davey brought up the medical examiner stuff and mm-hmm. I said that he's a very incompetent individual. Uh, here's the first part of that incompetence. Fast forward back to when the boys were found. This is all the police have to go on right now is this Vietnam idea. And then the the parents, you know, they're, they're looking at the parents uh, alibis for that night. Now it's May 26, 1993. And this case is turning cold fast. The police had no real suspects. And on top of that, the medical examiner still had not reported anything back to the police. So just think about that for a second. Like 20 days after the bodies were found and police have no details on the boys' deaths other than what they saw with their eyes the day that they were pulled out of the creek. It seems pretty outrageous. This case is colder than an Ohio Valley pizza. (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. 
And it leaves a worse taste in your mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> like how you can't even build a cake. You can't even. Well, you can't do anything. That right. Makes it right. What are you supposed to do? Yeah. And this is where I feel for Gary Gitchell, you know, and eventually my, my sympathy for him will, will run out pretty fucking hard. But, you know, what, what is this guy supposed to do with this? There's nowhere to turn. And so he put in a written request with the medical examiner on May 26th, demanding answers to some questions. What were the time of death? What wounds were found on the boys? Were there tears or puncture marks in their clothing? They sent a stick in to the crime lab. Was that stick used to beat the boys? Were they dead before they were put into the creek or did they drown? Because they have no idea of the cause of death. What was the results on that single hair found belonging to a black male? Because at this point, he doesn't know that it's lost. And had the boys been sexually assaulted? So all pretty legitimate questions that you would expect to hear yeah. a day or two after the coroner took took possession of the bodies, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, not 20 days later. Yeah, that's outrageous. <laughs> the only thing that the police had at the time were luminol pictures taken at the crime scene. But this raises other questions about the murders. Going off the assumption that Christopher Byers was castrated, they thought that there was a good chance that he could have bled to death from that injury. Some sources would out there would have you believe that no blood was found at the crime scene, but that's not accurate. Luminol tests did show up with blood near the creek. There's pictures available of that online. The question with it is how much of that blood could absorb into the ground, which makes it difficult to determine whether the crime was committed in the woods or at another location. What if they bled out underwater? Isn't that possible? Yeah, that yeah, would be possible, too. They were staked to the bottom of the creek. Right. Like, why couldn't they have? Yeah. Which obviously then you'll find no traces of blood. Mm hmm. And that's like why things like time that was of a John Madden statement. So I'm sorry. That was a John Madden <laughs> statement by me. <laughs> sorry. I didn't even mean to make that. I was, I was trying to make a joke. I was actually making a statement. And then after I said it, I was like, yeah, good God, bit. Mike, you think? <laughs> but I guess the amount of blood that they might have been leaking onto the ground could make a difference still. If even if they were killed in the water or died in the water, sure could. if there was, you know, abuse outside. Right, or like he Ian said, where they killed somewhere else and brought there. Right. You know, if you castrate someone outside of a, a, a creek or a river, probably going to be a lot of blood just outside. Yeah, I would think there might be. So the media attention was very heavy on this case uh, nationally, and there was obviously an enormous amount of pressure from the families to provide answers and who did this, and the police basically have nothing. At the beginning of the episode, we talked about a detective, Don Bray, who interviewed Vicki Hutchinson about the $200 credit card fraud. Don Bray was good friends with one of the juvenile officers named Jerry Driver. In between this time of the cases going cold and Gitchell sends his letter on May 26th, leading up to him sending that letter on May 26th, Don Bray starts talking to Jerry Driver about if he had any thoughts, you know, he's just kind of bouncing ideas off of him. Like, we don't know what's going on. We don't have any information. His case is turning cold. Jerry Driver had bought in 100% to the satanic panic that was going on in, at the time in the country. And he was keeping a list of kids that had gotten in trouble with the law that he felt could fit into some satanic worshiping. Jerry Driver had eight names on that list, including Jesse Miskelly, Damian Eccles, and Jason Baldwin, 
And that is where we will pick up on part two. Something tells me that those three men are going to be suspects in this case. They just might be. <laughs> mm. And remember a bunch of those names. I mean, I'm sure most of our audiences listened to, or watched right. the documentary. Mike's the only but, fucking person that doesn't know who yeah. those three people are, let's be honest. Hey, and let me tell you right now, <laughs> I'm enjoying this. No spoilers. I'm going through this like a first run. Come on. Imagine your first time watching, you know, whatever, Game of Thrones or something. You don't know what's going to happen next. Game of Thrones. This is great. <laughs> this is a whodunit type thing. Glad you're enjoying it, Mike. Glad I, I, I wouldn't say I'm enjoying it. I, like, this is a fucking terrible story. Very effusive there. I, I don't you're enjoying I, I don't it understand how people love this true crime shit. Like, it's just so terrible. <laughs> it's awful. But, the you know, people listen, so they must love it. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Part two, we'll, we'll start off talking a lot about Jerry Driver. And his whole satanic panic stuff he uh, he was doing. I have a feeling Ian and Dave might get a little hot about some of that stuff. Maybe. I just like to remind people that satanic worship is uh, protected religious expression <laughs> in this country, just like every other <laughs> fucking religion. So there's that. Talking to, you know, a couple metal heads here and well, not I, but you, you two. And I don't like one bit of this story. It's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Every bit of it. Are you saying, Dave, are you really tell me right now that people who wear black should be presumed to be innocent? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot in the story that's, you know. Apparently I'm giving away that I know a little bit more than I have claimed I have. But that's only because you motherfuckers keep texting <laughs> and keeping me in the chat. <laughs> and I see this shit. I'm like, God damn it. I don't want to know this. Spoiler. But apparently if you were black and you listen to metal. You might have murdered someone. I, I think that's uh, the crux of a lot of the rest of the story. Mm. I don't love it. I like when we take some of these deep dives into the ones that, uh, you know, leave a lot up for debate and question. question. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. All right. All right. Good first show of the year. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian. Great job with part one. A lot of good information. Thank you. Anything else to close out this episode, this part? Uh, no, I just thought it was, I think I said it earlier, but, uh, I thought it was, I learned more going into the alibis of the parents, specifically Mark Byers. Uh, you know, you watch the documentaries and they don't talk about that too, too much. I, my opinion changed a lot or, or, or if I would have known the, some of that in the begin when I watched the documentaries, I don't know that I would have the same opinion that I had about Mark Byers knowing all that, but that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm excited for next week. Next week will be good. A lot more information to get into. It's going to be three weeks of jam packed information, which is great. I think people are going to dig that. They like our in-depth yeah. looks at things, you know, Scientology. We did four parts. People loved it. Jean Benet. We did what? Four parts. People like loved it. People are going to dig this one. Dave, what are your anything else with this one? Anything else to add? No, good start to the story. Good. Uh, we laid a good base. Good base work. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Right. I have nothing further to add until next week when my blood will start boiling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have, uh, Jesus, this is the longest list of patron shout outs we've ever had. Well, hats off to you guys. You know what that means. You want to get another beer first? Whiskey, beer, tequila. <laughs> More vodka, more whiskey, and more beer. 
And more beer. Oh, hell yeah. I love it. That was perfect. <laughs> and now we're filled up. I think what this means is that all these people want some Bible babble in their life. I'm getting a little nervous about the Bible babble. I hope it's up to the standards. Of course it will be. Of course it will be. Racking my brain. Uh, We've been studying the Bible. It's coming to fruition, though. It's coming to fruition. We have it at uh, necronomapod.com. Or Patreon.com, excuse me, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Um, the $1 tier gets you a shout out. The $5 tier gets you three bonus shows a month plus access to the Patreon. And the $10 tier gets you the, the three bonus shows a month, a shout out, access to the Patreon. And you get a monthly Bible babble with Dave. <laughs> and you get to vote on one of the three bonus shows we release on Patreon a month. That's true. Which is new for 2021. A lot of of good voting this month so far. Yeah. We have the poll up on our our Patreon for the $10 tiers. We had three good topics, and uh, I think it's going to be make for fun bonus shows, which you will also get at the $5 tier. You will get that bonus show. It's just the $10 uh, patrons get to determine what that topic is. So, uh Check it out. We don't have an exact release date for when the, uh, you know, the Bible babbles and the bonus shows will come out, but they'll be out. You get three bonus shows a month and you'll get a Bible babble a month. And then we still are doing the Zoom happy hours a quarterly. So we'll we'll see you guys in March and we'll get shit face with you guys on Zoom and, uh, you know, every three months after that. Oh, yeah. Which we should all be used to by now because of the ongoing pandemic in this country. <laughs> Everyone's getting drunk on Zoom. Anyways, a bunch of new shout outs. Uh, I apologize if I butcher your name. We've been drinking some uh, beer out of Dave's kegerator tonight. Thank you very much to new patrons. Josh Sinclair, Dakota Kittlety, Leanna Lopez, Danielle Nagel, Ciara, Rod Vance, Cuban Bang, Ariel Salazar, Dalla Mike, Bender Rodriguez, Tracy Bullock, Taylor, Nikki Carr, Shannon Burgress, Burgess, Amber McSeely, Douglas Howard, Nick, Courtney Hoffman, Danielle, Paige Reed, Levi Norman, Shanna Wright, Helen Napoli, Nick Almagower, Paige Clark, Andrew, Emma McQuard, Charlene Sullivan, Scarecrow, Danielle Navarrete, Dalton Harris, Kylie Hartz, Amber Blanish, Michelle Burchell, Lee Turwilliger, Alyssa Eaton, Marco D, Madeline Iskison Stortonson, Scott Cox. Scott Cox, isn't he? Is he back? Didn't I already fuck his wife? <laughs> is he back for more, Pally? <laughs> Reese, Stephen Decker, Serge Contreras, Rihanna Ischenko, Alex Mars, Elijah Edwards, Lena Hasme, David Bentley. Folks, we're halfway through. Megan. Emmy Kennedy, Kimmy Witt, Chase Colufetti, Pumpkin Stacks, Necrodomicon. Hell yeah. <laughs> Nate, Pixie, Heather Smith, Ricky, Chris Van Benthusen. I feel like uh, Chris has uh, been on Discord before. Welcome back, Chris. Elizabeth Vicenia, Pathenia Lavore, Sean McMahon, Chrissy Zarnecki, Leslie Harris, Courtney Bush, Zvandra Lynn, Kathy Hager, Sean Brady, Nepaldren, Uziel Garcia, Claire Lorene Johnson, Nevada Smith, Jeremy Johnson, 
Courtney Sheffer, George Homick, Christina Baker, M. Owl, Alex Coronado, Morag A. McCaskill, Amy Barnes, Luke Summers, Eric, Audacious, Kenna Franco, Rockford Miles Coward, Lawson Dovier, Dylan Hightower, Michael Alsup, Kaylin Bobsine, Corey Goings, Kerjovi, and Angela Dupree. I probably butchered at least 70% of those names. That's a, uh, that's a great list of names. We also have one more shout out, Dean Picking. I think we might have forgot him. He had a... Uh, what? He was a patron, and I think we might have missed him, so I just wanted to make sure we did him right. Thank you very much to Dean Picking. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, everyone, to sign up. That was a long-ass list, but that makes makes us feel pretty good. You guys all signed up in the last couple weeks. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the show. If I fucked up your name, reach out to us. We're going to make it right. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again. Send us the phonetic spelling of your name, and we will drunkenly say it. And by we, I mean me. I will drunkenly sound it out. And you, say your name. You right. just did that. That didn't work out that great for some of those folks. Well, they didn't send me the phonetic spelling. <laughs> <laughs> Any hoodles. Uh, Ian, what do you got for us? For iTunes, I have one for Kelly14, FEO Couch, Doc IC, iStars Linger, Waffles1969, Carrie Barra, Coco Travels, Chris, and a whole bunch of numbers after his name. Not reading on that. <laughs> Minnesota Nat, Black Velvety, Skittles 1244. Uh, I think that's the last one. There's some, uh, yeah. been a lot of great iTunes reviews lately, and I've read some of those. And I'm like, what show are they talking about? Not <laughs> us. I'm not sure it's this show. <laughs> not this us. Is really good. Uh, I can't remember if I read these ones last time, but I'll just read them off anyway. Caleb GE, Mana Me, Kimberly AC, Katasu. Hades 2K16, Kate P30, Sad Girl Mora, GX Captain's Fan, Kittens McTavish, Jankmid1979, L-E-T-Y, and Lee Anna 76 Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, anything from your end? I know. Bad review corner is empty this week again. Uh, just the lack of bad reviews. I think I scared people away. They don't want to get in the crossfires <laughs> here. But They don't uh, know what to say. No, no bad reviews this week. All right. Well, I think we'll be back next week for part two. Maybe. You know, as long as we don't get shut down before then. It's possible. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. All of our merch is on amazon.com and just search Necronomapod and uh, give us a follow. Reach out to us. We like hearing from you guys and, uh, you know, check us out. Nice. Do you see my Santa Clinton video for the year end wrap up show? I did not. I didn't even know you had posted it. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I like to get under my tree. Hose, hose, hose. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out. We are YouTube.com slash Necronomapod. We have some very special guests always uh, sending out intros to our shows. <laughs> we probably don't plug that enough. We probably should do that more, but um, yeah. we well, had well, a, a former fucking president of the United States shouting us out. So <laughs> we should probably. It's usually Clinton. I don't have really any other ideas. But. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> All right. Anyways, at on the socials at Necronomapod, um, you know, give us a follow and buy some merch on Amazon. We also have uh, uh, koozies and stickers available at Necronomapod.com. That's it. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>